Amen. And um, as we said, that's really what we are supposed to be striving for, is to be like Jesus. And it's not something that's impossible. It's not unattainable. But we just have to work at it every day if we want to become like Jesus. So we want to reflect his character. And in order to do so, there are things that we have to work on. Tonight we're going to talk about controlling the tongue. Controlling the tongue. That's that's the part of us that we need to work on uh, to reflect the character of God. Um, loose lips sink ship. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> and so let's start in Job chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in Job chapter 1. Um, we're going to go in verse number 20. So Job chapter 1, we'll start in verse number 20. And we'll read a little bit about Job. Amen. Hallelujah. So good to see everyone this evening for Bible study. Tony must be doing some um, promotions. Amen. Tony, whether he's doing it or not, it feels like you're doing some promoting, Tony. Good to have everyone. Job chapter 1, verse number 20 says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Somebody say worship. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. I wish more of us would think about our life like that, that naked we came into this world, naked we will leave out of this world. If you didn't bring anything and you're not going to take anything, why are we letting things be our biggest challenge in all the things that we're worried about? We came in with nothing, and we're certain to leave with nothing. So I would think it would be smart to make sure that we don't let things get in our way as we seek to live for the Lord and please him because we we didn't come with anything and we're not going to leave with anything. So we shouldn't let things get in the way. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Crushing blows after crushing blows. I don't know if you could have withstand what Job would stand or I could have withstand what Job would stand. But Job was getting news every Ever, every, ever so often about what's happening to his life, his children dying and him losing this and him losing that. And the Bible says Job was an upright man. He was a man of God. And so with all that was going on, you would think Job would have just lost it and just, just, just wonder why is all of this happening? Um, someone said, you know, um, that, 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 that's an opportunity there to, to, to slip and say a couple few words, choice words that you shouldn't say uh, for the things that Job was struggling with and going through. You would think um, he would be allowed to just lose his cool and go off a little bit. But that's not what Job did. The Bible says that Job worshipped God in spite of what he was going through. And um, we learned so many lessons in the Bible that we really, really need to take um, a closer look at because the Bible says in all that Job went through, Job worshipped. And we need to ask ourselves, do we worship? Do we praise when we're going through stuff or do we complain or do do we do we leave God out of the scenario because we feel like our, our feelings get the best of us? And so is that what we do as people? And Job wasn't a superhuman. Job was a person, a human being just like you. And so Job, when he went through, he didn't snap, he didn't curse people, he didn't go off, he didn't have an attitude. Job worshipped God. Job praised God in all that he was going through. Who could blame Job for having just, you know, become childless if he decided to just snap a little and lose it a little bit? Uh, but, but Job didn't do all of that. In, 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 in the heart of the moment, it, it's hard to predict what a hurting father might do for losing his children. But Job showed us, this is why we're reading about Job, that in the heart of all what was going on, in the midst of what was going on, he didn't lose it. Instead of cursing, Job chose to verbalize praise. Instead of blaming God, Job chose to worship God. So we read these things and we wonder, 
is that really true? Is that a story? Can that really happen that we're going through stuff and it's really bad and and we 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 can really worship God, we can praise God or or are we just going to just lose it? Even after being encouraged by his wife to curse God, Job stayed in control. Uh, you know what, 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 why that's significant? I'll tell you, because, you know, us human, how we do. Uh, we're going through something, and what we try to do as humans a lot of time, the devil orchestrates it sometimes, but sometimes it's just us. When we're going through stuff, we go look for somebody that's going through stuff too. And so we connect with them so we can go and complain together. And, you, and we never stop to realize that, okay, two people are going through the same thing and it's not good. What, how can you help one another? You're just complaining to each other. And somehow we think that helps. But it doesn't help. doesn't help. What helps is we worship God. What helps is we praise God and not just find somebody else to complain to. Y'all up? Y'all awake? Y'all don't sound like y'all awake. When, when the word seems a little difficult, we, go, we fall asleep. Well, that's what we do. The word seems a little challenging, we fall asleep. Anybody in here, um, I don't know, what's the word? I know you are, so I don't even have to ask. There are some people like here that like to compete, right? Yeah, yeah. There are people in here that like to compete. Well, when do you get to the place as a child of God and say, oh, I'm going to get through this? When are you going to compete with your problems? When are you going to compete with the things that are coming against you? When are you going to compete with, 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 with when life is trying to tell you that you can't? When are you going to compete and say, oh, yes, I can? When are we going to compete like that? Or are we just going to put our tails between our legs every time we get a challenging scenario? We've got to compete because we've got God on our side. My Lord. I look at all the situations there. Let's go. Let's get ready to rumble because if we got to go through this, then we got to go through it. But the key word is through. Do we ever forget that? So whatever we're dealing with, we're going through it. It means that it will not last forever. It can't last forever. So guess what? We're just going to work through it because it can't last forever. All right. Listen to my man. If you haven't, if if you don't have a book from this guy, he's not apostolic, but this guy got passion. Guy named Leonard Ravenhill. If you don't have one of his book, get one of his book. You probably can't handle two, cause he is a monster, as they like to say. This guy is—he don't play games. You would think he was an apostolic dude the way how he come at you, but he's strong. And he's powerful. And the things that he writes, and even if you ever hear his preaching, dude don't play. And so he's all God. Until recently, this is him writing. This is a little snippet of his writing. Until recently, we were pretty much in the dark about the human body. Now, Ravenhill lived way back in the day. So this is probably in the 1800s he wrote this. But then came the x-ray with which... It's peeping eye, a marvelous instrument which has saved us much human misery. Talking about x-ray machine. It was able to show us the human heart, but couldn't show us the soul. (laughs) It could show us our throat, but not our voice. (laughs) Ravenhill, bad dude. The brain, but not our mind. So this x-ray machine can show you some things, but it can't show you everything. Nevertheless, medical science has done much to help this outward man that perishes. If our eyes are getting dim, we can get glasses. If our kidneys or heart fail, we can have a transplant. But as far as I know, there is one member of the body that has never been transplanted. (laughs) Come on, Ravenel. If we use our arms and legs as much as we use this part, we would be incredibly stiff 
and sore. But this member never gets tired. And I've never seen one with a splint on it. As you get older, you may get dentures. But you will always have the same tongue you were born with. Raven here. He said, I've never seen a transplant with a tongue. I've seen heart transplants, all kinds of transplants. Never seen a tongue transplant. There are artificial joints made these days, but no artificial tongues. <laughs> Raven Hill again. My mother was pretty smart when it came to the tongue. She sprinkled her daily conversation with wise sayings like, Keep your tongue between your teeth and think twice before you speak once. The Scottish people have some proverbs too. Keep your tongue a prisoner and your body will be free. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. <laughs> and a long tongue shortens friendship. A long tongue shortened friendships. My mother would also tell us, remember one day you will answer to God for every word you say. You want to get some of those quotes and saying? Taming of the tongue. Ravenhill.org. That dude is a monster. Since Ravenhill wrote the words, those words we just looked at, one tongue Allo transplant has been achieved, but the patient survived only 13 months. An allo transplant is not simply reconstruction. It is the complete removal of an organ from one donor to another and grafting of the organ in the person that receives it. But even if the tongue transplant become common someday, that will not minimize the significant James negative assessment of the tongue. It is clear from the context that his concern is for one's words, not just the physical organ. And so it is very important to look at the words we speak. We're trying to reflect the character of God. And if we're going to reflect his characteristics we're going to have to do some deep digging and soul searching and a whole lot of practicing of the word of God in order for us to begin to have some of those characteristics in our life. One way we can demonstrate our genuineness of faith is by the words we speak. If we're going to say we're Christians and you're trying to convince somebody that you're a Christian, one of the main things you're going to have to be able to do is speak the proper words in order to convince them. You can tell yourself, oh, I'm a Christian. But people can know if you're a Christian by the things you say. I'm watching Jordan. And Jordan like to say, y'all better watch Jordan. Jordan would come to me and say, daddy, people say words that are bad. I said, how do you know they say words that are bad? You know what Jordan says? Because I never heard you said them. <laughs> Watch him, man. The dude is too smart. Working the angles. Jordan, how do you know that's a bad word that somebody said? Daddy, if you didn't say it, I know it's a bad word. So he's trying to do two things. He's trying to tell me what he knows and trying to suck up to me. But I know him. He's my blood and my flesh. So I know him. But one of the ways to know our genuineness about our faith, who we are as Christians, is by the words we speak. If we speak the right words, it will identify who we are. A warning to all believers, including teachers of the word of God. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That's James chapter 3 verse 1 in the end. KJV version. It's saying that we all have to watch what we say. However, those of us that will be teachers of God's word, 
will have to deal with stricter judgment from God than the ones that are not teachers. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to stop teaching and just leave me alone to teach. We're talking about everywhere, though. We're not talking about just in this church. But you can't run from teaching because you're worried about strict judgment from the Lord. This statement in James, the statement cannot mean that those who God has called and gifted to teach should refrain from exercising their gift from God. That's not what it's there for. It's just there to tell you that if you're going to be a teacher, you must be an example of what you are teaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It must be then James was concerned about people seeking to know seeking to be known as teachers for wrong reasons. We always tend to use opportunities for our own glorification, for our own good, and never stop and say, what am I doing this for? The reason for discouraging those who are not called from presuming the role of teacher is that God will hold those positions of spiritual responsibility to a higher standard and accountability. So, we have to realize if God called us to teach, we have to be an example. We can't just teach and just live however we want. It won't work. Won't work. Why will teachers receive a stricter judgment than others? Check it out. The mature person does not speak offensive words. The mature Christian. You're a mature Christian. You are careful what you say to people. I even do that in my relationship with my spouse. I'm careful what I say. Because sticks and stones may break my bones and words certainly will hurt me. And we have taught people for so long, you can say whatever you want. Don't matter. It won't hurt me. Lying. People can say stuff that will hurt you and damage you and you walk around feeling a certain way for a very long time. And so if we're Christians and we're supposed to build up, if we're Christians and we're supposed to encourage, if we're Christians and we're supposed to be examples, then we're supposed to speak the words of encouragement and words that will build people up and words of faith and not words that will hurt. Mature Christians does not speak offensive words. Uh-huh. You got quiet on me. James chapter 3, verse number 8 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren... These things ought not so to be. Mm -hmm. The greatest test of maturity for a Christian is the measure in which one controls their tongue. Come on, y'all y'all getting quiet on me. Come on, shake up yourself and, you know. What I told you, I've given you all plenty of examples of how to be a good Christian. So when I wasn't the one that's always in the pulpit preaching and teaching, I always sat in the front. And the man of God would be saying some stuff that, man, it was hitting me. Because I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, that's talking to me because I didn't do that good. And yeah, I messed that up. And, he, and he's going on preaching. He's preaching. He's preaching, Sister Sharp. And I get up. I said, go ahead and preach, preacher. Yeah. And I go, ah, yeah, 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 preach. And he was talking about me. Y'all got to get it together. Because, because, because when I acknowledge what he's saying about me, it means I'm getting it. If, if, if I sit back and act like that, ain't talking about me, so I ain't worried about it. Guess what? You might just dismiss it. We, we got to realize that, listen, we can't come together and sit around and act like we've got it together. Because guess what? None of us got it together. And the time we get it together is when we're ascending in the rapture. That's when we have it together. Is when the rapture is happening and we're all ascending to meet Jesus in the air. That's when we can say we have it together. But if we want to act like we got it together any other time, I feel bad for you. 
Uh-huh. I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you because here's the story. If you think you got it together or you act like you got it together, it means you won't get it together because you don't have it together. Oh, yes. Give me some help up in here. Yes, give me some help up in here. It is possible to seem like one is living a Christian life, yet when they speak, they have trouble controlling their tongue. They fail to speak words that glorify God or edify others. And so we can pretend that we have it together. We can pretend that we're Christians, but as soon as we open our mouth, they say, hmm. And they worried about you, say, Lord. Sometimes we run people away from church. Here is something that I've discovered. I didn't like it, but guess what? I learned to accept it. People expect for you to be better than them. You can be mad at that all you want. But that's what they expect. And guess what? We should be, if we call ourselves men and women of God, when it comes down to how we conduct ourselves and the words we speak. We should be. We should be. Now, I'm not telling you you're going to be perfect and you won't mess up, but we should, as men and women of God, we should be able to get around people and they need to walk away and say, wow, I feel better about myself than when I first went around them. Our job is to make sure people feel better when they come around us. And I don't mean that we can't tell them truth that hurts, but they still will feel better because they will begin to think about things that they weren't thinking about before. They will start to seek resolution for issues and concerns that they have that they wasn't seeking. But because they got around you, they said, oh, oh I need to work on that. Somebody get around you and you don't curse. You know what they realize? I cuss a lot. You didn't tell them you curse too much. They just know, I never heard you curse. So every time they curse around you, it just echo because they're like, okay, this person just seemed like they're not in tune with my cussing and they're not cursing, so I need to start watching my mouth. And then and then they're trying to watch their, watch their mouth, but every time they watch their mouth, another curse word come out, another one slip out, another one, and they can't help it. I was talking to somebody Sunday, I'm not going to tell you who, but I was talking to somebody Sunday that was looking for me. And when I finally found them, they wanted me to talk to them about some issues. And I said, talk to me. And they don't go to church. And the first curse word was like, oh, I'm sorry, Reverend. But we kept talking and kept talking, and they were just slipping out, slipping out, slipping out, slipping out. I just act like they just wasn't coming because I'm trying to help the brother. Oh, my goodness. But if we will control our tongue, if we will live a right life before God and others, then we will help people. People will say, you know what? I can change. Yes, I can be better because they're looking at someone that's doing it. Uh-huh. 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 The reason the tongue is so difficult to control is that it tends to reveal what is in your heart? The Lord is good to us, but we don't even want to take his goodness sometimes. What does the Lord say? Quick to hear, slow to speak. But we so ignorant and don't realize that we say everything that's in our heart. We just want to blurt it out and we just sound foolish when the Lord already gave you the protection. Quick to hear, slow to speak. So when you know you got mouth problem, tongue problem, just be quick to hear, slow to speak. Because the Lord gave us that because he knew we, we need some work in controlling that. It is much easier to conform outwardly to specific codes or conduct than to conform to one's heart. Of what's going on inside of you. So here's what I'm saying. We can conform to behaviors because we do it at our jobs all the time. So we can go places and conform to the environment even though we can be corrupt in our thinking. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So that that can be done, and that's why there's sometimes we can we we can try to you know pretend. But if you keep talking, 
it will reveal who you are. We should concentrate our efforts on the development of character and wisdom. The control of the tongue flows naturally from these things. So your tongue will flow with what's really going on on the inside. And so if your heart is right, if your heart is pure, if there's really love deep down inside of you, it will flow off the tongue. But if, if, if stuff is just not good inside and you're not working on it, then you're going to find yourself saying things, offending people, and later on saying, oh, man, I messed up. We will worry about so many things that we will say afterwards because we're not dealing with the inside. Because we're steady trying to conform by showing actions on the outside. When we don't really realize, you know what's funny? In life, a lot of times, we're the last to know what's going on with us. Did you know that? A lot of times, stuff is wrong with us, and we're the last to know. We think we're okay when we're not okay because nobody has told us that you're not okay. And so things are wrong, and we just think, oh, life is great. You know, I'm doing well. No, you're not doing well. Somebody just haven't gotten the nerve of to tell you, guess what, man? You're doing this. Guess what, sis? You're doing that. And we can see it because the way you talk and the way you act, we can see it. And you're just chilling like all is good and think you're okay while everybody's sitting around saying, okay. Because here's the truth. It's very difficult to tell somebody the truth that hurts. That's the truth. And a lot of times we want to tell people the truth, but we know they might not take it right. So guess what? You don't tell them. Not because you don't want to tell them. Not because you don't love them. It's just because you know they might not take it good. And so now they just living how they're living and saying whatever they want. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I just got to pray for them. Because if I tell them, first of all, they're going to, I just got to go as I feel led. Listen, why we can't just accept when somebody tells us something? Why we got to go back and forth with it? Well, I don't see how. When do we just take it in and just say, you know, let me meditate on that and pray about that? We just got to come right back. And you don't even realize. This is how ignorant sometimes we are and we don't realize. You don't realize that person been seeing that situation in you for months and couldn't get the heart up to say it. And finally they prayed hard and think that the Lord touched them in a special way. And now they're trying to use everything they got, every God in them to tell you. And now you mad. Man. If we're going to reflect the characteristics of the Lord, I'm hearing from the Holy Ghost. If you're going to respond to people when they talk to you, how about you respond with a question? Don't go telling them nothing. They held on for months before they told you. Just say, really, you think so? How did I do that? How in my action do I do that? Ask questions. Don't go saying nothing. Because you're trying to shoot down a theory that's been built for months. And it's only because they finally felt the nudge of the Lord to say, go and talk to him. James discouraged would-be teachers because their failure to control their tongue is evidence of their lack of spiritual maturity. Listen, we need people in different areas of leadership and service in this church. But the truth of the matter is, this pastor got a little old school in him. I don't have a lot of new school in me. I got more old school, Ethan. So pray for me. Why am I telling you that? Because I'm one of those that says, can I see some commitment before we start doing something? Can, can, can I see that? Listen, I want to just say, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? But it's the old school of me, Tony says, yeah, but they probably just going to do it only because you said it, but they won't show up for it because it's not in them. If, they, if it was in them, they would start asking questions about it. Let me tell you something. I might not even finish this lesson tonight. Let me tell you something that you need to know. 
There are people in leadership roles that are not leaders. I'm talking about pastors and all. You, you, from the very top to the bottom. Sometimes you might just be connected to somebody. Some, sometimes it's just because nobody else can do it but you. But you're, you end up in a leadership role because of whatever the reason. But you're not a leader. That happens sometimes. But here's the, 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 the truth of the matter. If you know that's you, just be honest with yourself and work it out. Get teaching. Learn how to become a leader because you can be taught to become a leader. You also can be born as a leader. Now, put him on the spot again. My last born is a natural born leader. Now, what are you going to do with it? That's up to him. I just got to pray. But here's what I discovered with leaders. They are very observant. By the time it's time for them to do something, they kind of had an idea already. They had an idea because why? They can't help themselves but to always, always paying attention. There are some people you can go to and say something, they're like, how do we do that? Like they've been seeing it done for months, years. And when you say, hey, could you? Well, hold on. What, what do you got to do for that? And you want to say, yo, we've been doing it for years. Why don't you know how to do that? They're not leaders. That's the simple answer. They're not leaders. Now you can train them and help them along. And then there are people you can go to and you say, hey, and they say, okay, no problem. And they start doing it and you say, whoa. How it seem like they know what they're doing? Because they were scoping it out a long time ago. It was, it was something that we're paying attention to a long time ago because leaders are always looking. They're always trying to make the better for any situation. They're always trying to improve and they're always trying to help out. They're always trying to build up. That's what leaders do. Leaders don't sit around and leaders can't sit around and just let things happen. They can't. They can't help themselves. I got to do something. That's leaders. But if you're not a leader, you're just like, there you go. And don't just ignore it and just keep on doing what you're doing. And, and, and leaders are consistent. Leaders don't do it for you to recognize them. Leaders do it because that's who they are. They're consistent. They keep doing the same thing over and over and over. They're consistent. And they're not worried about who's doing it and who's not doing it. They just know this is what I'm supposed to do. The tongue. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. I know all about that. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot or the captain desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts a great thing. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire. Hmm. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the body, the whole body, and set on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Not the tongue. James expressed genuine amazement at the deadly power of so small part of the body as the tongue. The power of the tongue is so great that it is compared with the bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder that gives direction to the great ship. Isn't that something? It was common in Jewish teaching to use examples from nature, because Jesus did it, and human situation to explain spiritual truth. Jesus' abundance or abundant use of parables richly illustrated this point. As a master teacher himself, James used just the right illustration to demonstrate the point. A horse is great, is a great creature, but his whole body can be controlled by a relatively tiny bit in his mouth. A bit is about this big. 
long, about that big. And when you slide it back in the horse's mouth, it does everything for you. It controls the horse. You want to go right, you go right. You want to go left, you go left. You want to stop him, you stop him. Whatever you want to do, that little bit controls the horse. The tongue is little, but it is a great boaster. James took another illustration from a well-known feature of first century life. The great vessel that plied the waters of the Mediterranean Sea on the western coast of Israel, as well as a smaller ship that constantly worked the Sea of Galilee. Like the bit and the rudder, the tongue is relatively small compared with all else it takes to compromise or to comprise, I'm sorry, a human being. The tongue seems insignificant, but this little member is capable of great feet, both for evil and for good. I'm getting close. I'm almost there too. One of the most common use of the tongue is for boasting. Let me ask you a question. See if you'll answer it in your mind. We can talk about it later. What sinful character trait is revealed by boasting? When someone boasts, what is the sinful character trait that is revealed? There you go. The tongue is little, but it is a fire. James used another analogy, that of a raging forest fire kindled by a mere spark to illustrate the potential damage the tongue can do. So we're just looking at what the damage that the tongue can do. And when you think about a forest, a forest we know is usually miles and miles, big space. And they're saying a little spark. When it sparks and start burning, that little spark of fire can burn down the whole forest. And James is comparing the tongue to that little spark of fire, meaning you can just, your tongue could just annihilate and destroy people, destroy people's life by one word you say. One word you say. Destroy people's life. You walk away, feel like no big deal, and they're going home, can't sleep. Ain't my fault. Hey, I just said what I said. They just need to accept it. Oh, really? That's Christian like, huh? Okay. All right. You don't care if your brother or sister can't sleep because of something you said. They just need to accept it because you told them truth. That's another thing. I can tell you truth, but there's a way of telling you truth. There's a scripture in, in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, if you see your brother or sister taken over by a fault, it says, ye which are spiritual should go and restore such a one in meekness. Ah, uh, key right there. So if, I, if I'm trying to help you, I'm not supposed to tell you truth any kind of way. If I'm trying to help you, I'm going to tell you truth in a loving and tender way. I can't shove the truth down your throat and, yeah, it's the truth. It's your business if you don't want to believe it, it's the truth. That's how we do. That's, that, that's the work of the tongue. That, that's the kind of hurt that the tongue produces. Because we believe that we can just tell truth no matter what. Doesn't matter how people feel about it. Uh-huh. The tongue is little, but it is a world of iniquity. Iniquity is exactly the opposite of what is right. It is all that is wrong. The tongue is a world of wrongness. Three problems. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. The human tongue surpasses the most vicious and dangerous animal in its inability to be controlled. Not even the most poisonous viper or the most vicious beast can compare with the tongue in its capacity for brutal, violent behavior. Mm. The reason for this is that it is an unruly evil 
full of deadly poison. There is no point in struggling to control the tongue alone. The tongue simply reveals what is in the heart. To try to retain a pure tongue and an evil heart is like trying to disconnect faith from works. Let me say that again. To try to retain a pure tongue and an evil heart is like trying to disconnect faith from works. So what it's saying is to to, to speak nice words and be all messed up inside is almost impossible. You might get away here and there. You might say nice things here and there. But sooner or later, just sit and wait. It's coming. Because if it's in here, it's coming out. Sooner or later, it's coming because you can't control the tongue. It's unruly. It's evil. It does whatever it wants. Isn't it amazing that the Bible says that when we receive the Holy Ghost, we will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives us other? You know why? That is so important because that's the time that the tongue don't have to to, to do evil things. The, the tongue can't be evil when you're speaking with tongues. You try to speak with tongues uh, and let evil things happen. It can't. And so God himself knew uh, this tongue that we have uh, is unruly, is dangerous, evil and poisonous. Uh, but if I give you my spirit uh, and the evidence of you receiving my spirit is that tongue going like this, then I got some control over that tongue. And people worry about, is talking in tongues uh, real? Is talking in tongues uh, supposed to be everyone supposed to do it? Sure, everyone, because all of our hearts are messed up. All of our tongues are unruly. And the way we're going to get there is by the power of God working in our lives from the heart all the way out, all on top of the tongue and through the tongue. Don't you worry about, don't you think the Holy Ghost is just... I learned a little bit about the Lord, and one of the things I learned about him, he just don't, he's not like us. He just don't say stuff just to say it. It's not an oh, by the way, and it's not that important. Me and you can kick it all day, and I can say, I can say, and you can say many things that's just oh, by the way, that's not really important. But when we read the Word of God, I was listening to Vesta tonight, and she said something that just made me thought. And I said, man, God. And you know what she said? She said, God. When you speak your words in heaven, everything come at attention. Can you imagine all the angels when God's speaking in, in the heaven? All the angels, uh, they begin to bow and worship. All the angels, uh, they come at attention when the word of God is being spoken in heaven. And guess what? In hell, when they hear the word of God, they shudder and tremble. And here we are with the word of God just right here in our hands, in our mind, in our heart, in the Bible. And we ain't shuddering when we read it uh, and we move it uh, when we hear it. Uh, we need to get a hold of the word of God and realize the power behind it. Oh, help us, Lord. Man, his words get spoken and people are at attention and we just take it as no big deal. Just another thing. Oh, to retain a pure heart. And a, a pure tongue and an evil heart is like trying to disconnect faith from works. It cannot be done. If we wish to have a tongue that speaks only what it should, we must concentrate on developing the character of Christ. If the heart is pure, so will one's words be pure. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. You didn't mean to say it? But what was down there, that's what really came out. So you were trying to control what was down there. But God wants us to know that's not the way we control down there. You, you, you can't try to control what's in your heart by trying to word your words and kind of speak a certain way. You can't control your heart with the words you speak. Huh. The tongue is so set among our members that it unearingly. Reveal the condition of one's heart. Mm -hmm. In the setting about which James wrote, with the same tongue, some believers were blessing God 
and cursing people. To Jewish thought, the fact that people are made in the image of God had far-reaching implications. The institution of capital punishment for murder in Noah's day was based on people being in the image of God. An attack on a human being is an attack on God's image. Let that percolate for a while. When I talk to you wrong, when I treat you wrong, I'm attacking God's image because you're made in the image of God. When we have art with one another, when we treat each other wrong, we're attacking the image of God. You want Bible? Saul, Saul, why persecuting thou me? When Saul was on his way to persecute the children of God, the Lord didn't say you're persecuting me. He said, Saul, he didn't say you're persecuting them. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's Saul trying to persecute Christians. So anytime we treat anybody wrong, God is saying, Wayne, Wayne, why are you persecuting me? He's not calling me and saying, well, I'm persecuting that person. He's saying, why are you persecuting me? God. So just think about that when you decide to talk wrongly to someone. You're, 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 you're attacking the image of God when you treat someone wrong, when you talk to somebody wrong, when, when you speak bad things to people, when you, when you make them just, 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 just treat them like they're nobody. You're attacking the image of God. This is one reason why God abhors violence. Uh huh. A spring that produces both fresh and bitter water. That can't be happen. That can't be possible. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? That's James chapter three verse eleven. Appealing again. To illustration from nature, James pointed out that a spring of water does not produce from the same source both fresh and bitter water. Not happening. Fig tree. Fig tree that bears olives or a grapevine that bears figs. Again, stuff got to stay in its lane. Whatever it is, that's what it has to be. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields, both salt water and fresh. Can't do it. James 12, 3 and 12. To the illustration of a spring of, the, of, 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 spring of water, verse 12, adds the fig tree and the grapevine. Both produce only according to their nature. So we can only produce according to our nature. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The point is that evil words reveal an evil source. So if you're speaking evil words, it's coming from an evil source. And nobody can control you but you. You can, you can turn over control of yourself to something else, but it's still you that made that decision to do that. So whatever is coming from you is from your source. If people's words are wrong, so are their hearts. Mm-hmm. This is strong. If you're wrong, your heart is wrong. It's just the bottom line. Some think James suggested since he acknowledged that his readers bless God that their heart were pure and then evil. Huh. But we do not quickly switch back and forth in the condition of our hearts. Instead, the point seems to be that even their blessing, listen to this, even their blessings of God was hypocritical. What are you saying, preacher? I'll show it to you real good. Oh, Lord, I love you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, there is none like you. Oh, I worship you. You are my God. You're my king. I love you, Jesus. Bob, I can't stand you. What the Bible is saying, that worship he was giving God, God wasn't receiving that because it wasn't coming from a good place. That wasn't no real worship. So like many people do in church, they worship God, great altar call, and as soon as church is over, they start fussing and fighting. What kind of worship were you giving to God? 
Because I'm telling you, man, if you ever really get into that place where you're worshiping and loving and praising God, man, it'd take a while before I could have a regular conversation. I'm, I'm so lost in what I just did. I can't even, all I can say is yeah, no, and smile and all that stuff. Take a minute before I can have some regular conversation with you. Because I was in the presence of the Lord. You can't, you can't be in the presence of the Lord and give him worship and then tell somebody off the next minute. It means what presence you say you were in, you were not in. <laughs> Help us, Lord. Yeah, we, we, can't, we can't go through the motions. Uh, and you know, the goodness about the Lord is we don't have to play the game with God. You can play games with other people. You don't have to play games with God. God loves you. He's for you. All you got to do is just be honest with him. And if people want to talk about you in your honesty with him, then so be it. But just be honest with God because that's the one that you need to get it right with. So if you're you're not good, get good. Get, get, Get into the presence of God. Let God work on you. Let God do something in you. And I got to tell you while I'm at it, we got to work hard at, 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 at becoming more spiritual. Don't get quiet on me. We, we got we to put some time in to become spiritual because I'm telling you, more carnality will come out of you than spiritual things if we just keep on just putting in, punching the time clock. Because that's what I call it. I've been saying this for years, that we treat God like the job. And so we punch in Thursday night, click, click, some punch in seven, some punch in 645, some punch in 730, some punch in 735. We punch it. And as soon as I said, God bless you in Jesus name, uh -uh, punch again. We're out. And life is just whatever you just did. That's separate. You can't live for God like that because this is a lifestyle. This is this is not a job. Our jobs, that's what we do. I can go to my job and pretend and do everything I need to do and do work hard. There are people on their jobs that their life is like out of control. We had a girl, one of my favorite people that I ever worked with in all my life. She's still my girl when I see her today. But, man, oh, my goodness. This girl would come to work in her party clothes from Sunday night. She would come to work on Monday and she would have on the colors and everything that she parted in that night. She would come to work that way. But when she got on the telephones, surcharging billing, I mean, nobody spoke better than her on the phone. She was the best. But when she came, it was like she came from a party. It was like a party going on every time. When you see her, you're like, you okay? But on the phone, nobody touched her. That was my girl. Nobody touched her. So she punched the clock and she did what she was supposed to do. What do we care about her personal life? Of course, I did because I'm a preacher. But it just, you know, that's just how I am. But I cared about her life. But, but nobody else cared. The people on the other end didn't care. All they wanted is the service she provide while she's on the phone. So she punched the clock, do her job, and she out. We can't do Christ like that. We can't punch the clock when we come to church. It's not a it's not a punch in the clock. We're not coming to church and punching the clock. And then when we leave, we punch out. Then we can do whatever we want. And then we say, all right, Sunday's coming. Okay, I'll go punch in Sunday again and get it in. We can't treat Christ like that. This has to be a consistent way of life. What do we do when we're doing everything else? I'll give you an example. I use my examples sometimes on myself because when y'all give me some testimony sometimes so I can use y'all. But here's what I'm using. So my daughter, because I got a new daughter, got a new daughter and son. So my daughter came in my office today and said, why you seem to be so low key today? She didn't know this. So this was her first time she getting this. I said, it's Thursday. She said, what does that mean? I said, don't worry about it's Thursday. <laughs> right? And, and, and that's going on from I wake up. Whatever I do, Tuesdays, I teach two Bible studies on Tuesdays. All day long. I'm working, but I'm preparing for Bible study all day long. 
So when 5.30 come, I show up at the one Bible study. I'm done by 6.15, 6.30, depending on how the conversation go. And I'm gone. I'm getting to the next one by 7.15. These are all just the, my thoughts are just going in this direction. I can't punch the clock. I don't know how you do it if you're doing it. Can't punch the clock. Got to live for God every day, 24-7. We don't punch the clock living for Jesus. It's our lifestyle. And there's not a time that we're not living for God. In your sleep, you're living for God. When you wake up, you're living for God. When you go to bed, you're living for God. When you're on the job, you're living for God. When somebody makes you mad, you're living for God. Every aspect of your life, you're living for God. There's not a time when we're not living for God. And so, we can't praise God and curse people out and think that God received that praise or that worship. Since they were cursing people, since they were spring was sending forth bitter water, and since, like fig trees and vines, They were producing according to their nature. Their blessing of God was a pretense, an attempt to cover the true condition of their heart. Don't try to cover the condition, the true condition of your heart. Um, Let me finish up with this story here. Right on time. Many of you have heard of the, uh, the gospel artist, Chris Tomlin. He's a prolific writer of worship songs, songs like How Great Is Our God, Here I Am to Worship, and At the Cross. Those are just some of the many songs that Chris Tomlin wrote. His songs are often sung in churches all across the world on Sundays or whenever we have church. J.D. Walt tells the following story about Chris Tomlin. Let's be clear about cursing. What we are not talking about here is foul language. So, yes, foul language is cursing. But when we're talking about cursing, we're talking about saying mean things to people. We're talking about speaking derogatorily against anyone. We're talking about bringing them down and not lifting them up. Those are the kind of things that we're we're, we're talking about. So, to curse someone is to do the opposite of, of blessing them. So whatever you think is, is, is what you say to bless somebody, the opposite of that is cursing them. Yeah. So Chris Tomlin tells a story about a middle school choir teacher who upon listening to his voice told him he could not sing and that he should cease trying to sing. It was a curse because he had sensed from a young age that his singing voice would be a vital part of his calling. It devastated him when she told him he couldn't sing and he needed to stop singing. If you know anything about Chris Tomlin, you know that God turned this curse into an extraordinary blessing. Today, he is one of the most prolific worship leaders and one of the most gifted songwriters in the world. And so the lady cursed him, but he didn't allow it to be a curse. He just kept on going and kept on doing the right thing. We can curse people and their whole life can be messed up from it because you don't realize that your words has power. The Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And so you can speak life to people or you can speak death to them. And depending on what kind of position they're in, if, they, if they're not in a spiritual godly position, they can hold on to those very words that you said to them and they will never amount to their purpose in God because you cursed them by saying they weren't any good, by saying that they could not. We can't do that. We have to begin to speak blessing in people's life. The tongue, we have to control it if we're going to be Christians. But we're not going to control it by just trying to speak nice words. But our heart's still defiled. The hard work, the easy work, is to try to say nice words and not clean up this. The proper way and the hard way is to clean this up so nice words can just flow off your tongue. 
it will be like such just it's it will be a flow it won't be you're working hard if 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 god is in you and your heart is right giving people compliment encouraging people building them up is not hard because that's what's in you it's flowing out of you but if if goodness and pure heart is not in you then you're going to be saying things that Yes, you can go ahead and apologize for it, but just understand what's going on. Stuff is wrong, and you need to fix it. Stuff is wrong, and you got to get it together. Don't, 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 don't deny it. Don't act like it's not happening because you're only hurting yourself if you don't fix it. We're trying to get to heaven. We're trying to be godly. We're trying to be people of God that will have impact all around us. And the only way we're going to do that, we have to be true to ourselves and we got to be true with God. God knows anyway, so it doesn't make sense to lie to him. But that's what we got to do. Any questions before I completely close out? Nobody has anything? Sister Hasker, I told you since you got married, you got quiet. I'm worried about you. Is he doing anything to you? Because why you got quiet all of a sudden? You all remember before the wedding? Everybody remember, right? Uh, okay. I, I know it's not me. You know? It, no, no, no. You didn't do that before. So you can tell me whatever you want to tell me. Before the wedding, when he was still in um, Lancaster or wherever he was, way down in PA, and you were here by yourself, we, heard, we couldn't wait. We all know after Bible study, here it comes. <laughs> we say, here it comes. You remember, you remember? Yeah, it was like a book. Man, I mean, she had her book. She was writing notes. I'm telling it all. I, I hope he's he not slowing you down. He's supposed to make you go better. Uh, anybody else? All right. You good, you good back there, hat lady? The hat lady's good. Good to see. Good to, good to see you tonight. 